I always had this idea of like art is therapeutic, art is healing, it's helped me, I wonder how I can help other people this way. How do I create these experiences where we are making art but also having meaningful conversation and learning things about ourselves or the world. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi, I'm Chelsea. And I'm Olivia. And this is CWC Talks. Chelsea, do you consider yourself a creative person? So I'm not creative in the sense that like I'm not good at drawing, you know, and like traditional artistic creativity. So it's hard for me to think of myself as a creative person because I'm basically at stick figure level of drawing. (laughs) (laughs) But throughout my life, I've tried to kind of expand my idea of what it means to be creative and, you know, thinking about writing or humor or other ways I can be creative. Cool. Yeah. I kind of like go in and out of, am I a creative person? Am I not? You know, I've always enjoyed things like writing and I've enjoyed drawing and painting, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm good at any of those things, but it's definitely something that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Reason I ask is in today's episode, I spoke with an art therapist. Her name is Deanna Barton. She practices down in South Florida and she does art therapy sessions. And I really like talking to her because she gave me so many ideas on how to be creative and how it can be so healing and helpful to your mental health. You know, just enjoying that creative process. And sometimes when you get into the midst of it and you kind of take a step back and look at it, you can interpret so many different things just from that one piece. And it could be something that you drew. It could be something like a collage, you know, where you like cut out magazine pictures and words and things like that. So it's really, and even music, you can incorporate music into it too. Like, okay, I'm coming to my therapy session with this song in mind. And this song to me represents the anger I feel when I'm in a certain situation, or if I recall a certain trauma that occurred with me. So Deanna was really cool at talking to her because she gave all of these different ideas and interventions and coping skills. Yeah, I think that is going to be such an interesting conversation because I think when we think about like therapy and counseling, it's usually like in the context of just talking to someone, but finding other ways to express yourself or process emotions outside of, you know, the typical just talking back and forth with someone, I think could probably resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. Especially if you have a hard time finding the right words, which I Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
have that problem often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even though, I mean, like I said, I'm, I don't feel like a traditionally creative person. I know like I'm thinking in grad school, um, we were assigned to do some different paintings and things. And, you know, of course I was really like self-conscious about my abilities, but I think it was just the process, like for me, at least like the process of painting and doing that was really like meditative for me. And um, I just really enjoyed that process even more than just the finished product. And it helps to center your focus too. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when we're in college, we just feel so scattered because we have so many different responsibilities with all of our classes, if we're working, if we have different organizations that we're involved with, there's there's just so much sometimes. But being able to focus on something creative really helps us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I am sure like so many students listening to this might also find like other ways that they're creative too, even if you're not a painter (laughs) or like an artist. I mean, there are so many different types of ways you can be creative. And then even among like the engineering field, I mean, you have to have a creative mind Mm -hmm. for that. So it's not necessarily centered on fine arts type of creativity it can go way beyond that Mm -hmm. yeah like problem solving is creative like being a teacher or an educator and like thinking about lesson plans takes creativeness and you know it just looks differently Mm -hmm. so olivia i was wondering this week what are some of your your rose, your thorn, your bud. So like what's something that's making you happy or, you know, something that's been tough or something you've been looking forward to this week? I really like this tool. I just found out about it. The rose, the thorn, and the bud. So this is a great great way to have a conversation and to kind of check in, you know, with with your friends, with your partner, with your parents even. So a rose that I have this week is I'm looking forward to going out on a date with my husband and we are going to go to the top for dinner. The Gainesville favorite. Love the top. So that's my rose. What about yours? My rose this week is just having some more, we're recording this the week of Memorial Day. So being able to have some time off and had a little nice backyard hangout with some friends. And it's been weird kind of socializing again, but it's also, it's been really nice too. Great. Yeah. What about your thorn for this week? So my thorn for this week is I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. And I know that she's going to get on my case about exercising more. So, <laughs> so that is that is my thorn. But I feel like I'm ready for any tough conversations that come mm-hmm. my way. And you? To be honest, this week, my thorn is just kind of waiting in, in anticipation for my bud, which is going on a trip next week, which I'm 
really excited to be able to do that again and be able to feel safe about that again. So that's kind of like where my energies are right now. (laughs) I'm super excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It won't be any fun at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is your bet this week? So I would say I'm still learning about this whole rose thorn bud thing. So maybe learning about this rose thorn bud is my rose. And then what I said was my rose, which was going out to the top for dinner is now my bud. So I'm still figuring it out. I'll be, I'll get better at it with more practice. All right, everybody. Well, hope you enjoy our interview today with Deanna Barton. Hi, welcome to the show. I am here with Deanna Barton. She is a board certified art therapist who is here to talk to us about using art in therapy. Hi, Deanna. Hi, how are you today, Olivia? I'm good. I'm so glad to have you here. I think that there are so many times where, you know, when people think about going to counseling, you know, they think about two people sitting in a room, talking, having a conversation, talking about different issues and concerns and processing through them. And while that's a majority of what counselors do, there can be so much more to the healing process than just talking. And so that's why I'm glad, you know, to talk to you about art therapy, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners are even wondering, okay, but what is art therapy? What does that mean? So could you tell us a little bit about that? For sure. So I'll give the, you know, more by the book definition, Mm -hmm. art therapy is a blend of art making, the creative process and applied psychology, and it's utilized in a variety of different settings, but really the foundation and the basis is kind of merging that nonverbal and verbal communication to support someone's healing and well-being. So, you know, it's a mental health profession. Clinicians or art therapists are at least a master's level clinician. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we have these other credentialings like myself, board certification. There are even some states where there are licensed art therapists. That's just state by state. Mm -hmm. Um, But very similar to a traditional talk therapist. And, you know, but we're not just talking, we're facilitating art exercise, art making, creative process. And most often an art therapist is kind of based in the visual arts. But of course, we can expand beyond just the visual arts into dance and movement and drama therapy, music therapy. So that kind of encompasses the creative arts or expressive arts therapies. That's really interesting. And it's such a, a broad spectrum of ways to express yourself too. For sure. So when somebody comes to see you, what can they expect? Like, are you just going to hand them like, you know, (laughs) a paintbrush and say, go to town? Or I mean, what does that look like for them? So sessions vary depending on, you know, the population I'm working with. And especially now since uh, COVID and everyone kind of working from home, my practice has definitely taken on a a new look and the sessions kind of flow a bit differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So just if it is, you gather, we come together, um, whether that be me and just one individual or a group of individuals. And there's a a combination of of dialoguing and also art making. So sometimes the art making is kind of the beginning of the session as a warm up, as a way to introduce ourselves. Um, It can happen in the middle of a session kind of to support the conversation or to help 
the client dive a little bit deeper into the issues that are coming up for them. It can be really helpful to use the art um, in conjunction with that dialogue because sometimes we don't always have words to describe or express exactly what we are feeling or thinking, especially related to trauma or, you know, really heavy emotional content. So the art becomes almost like a a less threatening way or um, a more approachable way to kind of dig in there and and gather some information about that experience. Um, And then sometimes the art making happens at the end of the session as a way to kind of ground an individual. If maybe we have talked about something really heavy and deep, Mm -hmm. um, can be really helpful for centering and calming and soothing. So the art shows up in a variety of different ways and also through a variety of different techniques and materials. So it could be anything from drawing to working with collage or mixed media, even clay. Um, And even now, I myself have stepped into exploring more non-traditional materials because not everybody has a collection of things to use at home. Right. Anything from old mail to upcycling a t-shirt or going outside and gathering things from nature, found objects. So honestly, it's an endless supply of creativity. You know, that that space in our, our sessions is very creative and we try to tap into what we have access to. I love that idea of utilizing things that are around you, that are in your natural space already, you know, because I think, you know, when we think of art, we think, okay, well, I guess I have to go to the, go to an art store and get paints and, and special pens and canvas and, and whatever the case might be. But you're saying it can be a very simple process. It really can be. I think each clinician, each art therapist has their different approaches and way of bringing the art into the session. Um, I just really think nowadays more than ever, helping clients understand that they can be very resourceful with things around them also gives this kind of hopefulness that, you know, I can still seek healing and work on my well-being and mental health without having to spend money. You know, just coming to a therapy session is expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being able to kind of utilize what they have at their disposal can be really encouraging and also supporting their continued well-being through the time that we spend together. And you're also teaching them, too, that they can utilize these same coping skills long after therapeutic relationship ends with you. Exactly. You know, so even on their own, if they are having a rough day, they can do something like you said, like making a collage of things that make them happy or anything like that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, we're not always carrying around sketchbooks and paint. You know, right. Maybe in my <laughs> ideal world, we would be. <laughs> no matter where they are or what they have at their, you know, at their reach, they can find some way to tap into that endless pool of creativity as a source of healing or relaxation. Okay, great. I was um, doing a little bit of research, really internet stalking on your websites. (laughs) (laughs) And you have two different websites, um, which will, of course, include in the episode notes. One is for your artwork and one is for your practice. Mm -hmm. And on your counseling website, I saw you wrote about giving your clients a safe space for healing, specifically for women of color. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. Since becoming an art therapist, I've worked in a variety of settings. And it's only been, I'd say, in the past two or three years that I've really kind of focused more on women of color, more in response to things that I've seen happening in the world, you know, of course, here in the U.S., 
with a lot of issues in the Black community and specifically stigma around mental health is a continued struggle for, for many of us. And so trying to create a space where healing felt decolonized, I guess is the best way to say it, you know, mm. finding a way to help women of color understand that the wellness industry, the the whole realm of mental health is accessible. I think a lot of times, um, at least in my experience, women of color see healing and wellness and mental health care as almost a luxury. Oftentimes it's not affordable, right? And mm-hmm. oftentimes they're entering spaces where there are not individuals that look like them. So in many ways that can be re-triggering, especially if you're dealing with issues of racial stress and trauma right. um, and different things that you know have been part of your lived experience. So my goal has always been to create spaces where at least they feel welcome, mm-hmm. then they themselves and in, in conjunction with the therapeutic relationship, we're developing a sense of safety, a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. um, and honestly, a sense of community where we can embrace our experiences and show up full, show up as a whole person in a therapy session instead of having to maybe suppress or not talk about certain parts of your experience because mm-hmm. of fear that maybe the clinician doesn't understand it all. Right. So mm-hmm. that's really kind of the framework of what Aluma is and what my private practice strives to do and provide. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I know that here at UF, you know, what I do every day is I see, you know, uh, students that come in and they are seeking services. And a lot of times, you know, if they're people of color, they don't necessarily feel comfortable talking to me about some things. But recently I had this one woman come in and she, you know, she was a woman of color and she specifically requested to have a female counselor of color. And we have been working to find her that counselor. And it's just been beautiful to watch her be just so free and so open with advocating for her own mental health needs and wanting to be able to connect with someone that she can fully express herself because there are things as a white woman that I'm not going to understand, you know, and, and that's okay. Um, And she needs to, to speak with somebody who can understand. For sure. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you, you know, sharing that. And it's not to say that a non a clinician who is not of color cannot support the well-being of someone of color. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of practicing from a place of cultural humility, I think, is extremely important, no matter mm-hmm. what your racial background is. But as you mentioned, there are just some things that if you are not of the same racial background, you might not get it. And in right. a therapy, you know, in a therapeutic session, sometimes that is the foundation of what they are coming to heal from, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. there are those that are really seeking to be supported and, and kind of guided who look like them, you know, yeah. and I'm glad that I can provide that for those that are needing that. Mm-hmm. Do you have like specific interventions that, that you utilize, like specifically for people who are coming to you with um, those racial cultural concerns? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm very client focused when I come to the work that I do. So I really like to approach any session from the client's perspective and what they're needing in that moment. So as an art therapist, we have directives that we can utilize to facilitate certain types of healing or, or you know, kind of self-discovery or processing of varying types of situations or emotions. Um, But when it comes to, you know, addressing racial stress and trauma, I think a lot of the interventions surround this idea of identity 
And a lot of it has to do with reclaiming identity. I'm speaking in this moment more towards uh, Black women in particular. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when you're in spaces that are not built or created for you, you have to kind of walk a different way, talk a different way, do your hair a different way. So, Mm. you know, if you've lived a whole lifetime from zero till your mid twenties, you know, or college years, um, kind of adapting and assimilating to other types of, you know, ways of being, you've lost a part of yourself. So a lot of the work that I see happening in in my sessions is is truly reclaiming a sense of self, reclaiming their identity, embracing themselves fully. And then from there, we can really start to do some of that important work around the emotionality that is coming out of these experiences. Mm -hmm. But anchoring them and feeling proud to be who they are and feeling confident in who they are, I think is really important in creating that safe space. What brought you to art therapy? You have such a passion for it. (laughs) (laughs) So I've, I've got a couple different things that, you know, brought me to this space. I think most importantly have been my own personal experiences uh, with art as a source of soulless and healing. Um, I dealt with mental illness throughout my teens and my twenties, but art was always there. Art was always that thing that I felt I had, you know, if I had no one, had nothing else, it was always art. So Mm. whether it was dancing, which was a huge part of my life from the age of three through college or the visual arts, which I was always doing in in school and Mm. eventually ended up studying uh, visual arts as a minor in college and then majoring in psychology. So around the time in college, I had a professor who mentioned art therapy. And he was like, this is a perfect blend of everything you're studying. Have you ever heard of it? I was like, no, tell me more. Wow. Oh my (laughs) goodness. Yeah. So that's when I think the actual idea of it as a profession came into my universe. Um, But prior to that, I always had this idea of like art is therapeutic, art is healing. It's helped me. I wonder how I can help other people this way. Mm -hmm. How do I create these experiences where we are making art, but also having meaningful conversation and learning things about ourselves or the world. Uh, So I think, you know, it's kind of like all stars aligned, all the planets were aligned in that moment. and, Mm -hmm. And I found the thing that really is what my, my passion is. Yeah. And it's so cool how, you know, things just fall into place. Once you find that thing that's yours, everything just boom. It, yeah. The stars align. Like you said, (laughs) that's wonderful. What is, or do you have a favorite type of art or medium or mm. I don't really know. I'm not an artist. Um, <laughs> I'm an amateur artist, I guess. But do you have anything that you it's definitely a go to for you personally? Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Have a question about mental health? Have any questions about CWC? Ask it. Ask it is a new way for students to ask mental health questions and get answers from a CWC associate. Ask It provides responses to a range of inquiries such as when to ask for help, how to manage day-to-day stress, how to support a fellow Gator, existing resources for addressing mental health concerns, and more. Once you submit your question and contact information, a CWC clinician will respond with an answer within five to seven business days. Ask your question today at counseling.ufl.edu forward slash ask it. For sure. My go-tos on the day-to-day would definitely be mandalas. So working in the round, working in a circle, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of spiritual meaning to that form, to that shape. 
Um, and it's also just a very quick and easy way to create. So making mandalas, and then I'd say my next go-to is collage or mixed media. So just kind of picking up scraps of things that I have from other art projects, or I have huge collection of magazines and just kind of working in that tactile way is, is very helpful just day to day. But my passions, like when I'm really diving deep into my art making, it is any type of art making that involves movement. So I don't dance like I used to, but I do find that my personal art making has some connection to movement. So whether that is through photography and kind of capturing the way things might move Mm -hmm. or with clay, for example, it's, I mean, there's so much movement of the body and energy exerting into working with clay. So I just, I really enjoy tactile haptic experiences. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me a little bit more about the mandalas and the spiritual connection? I'd I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. So mandala is a Sanskrit word meaning circle. If you know, you just think about the world, even the universe, there are so many different things that we find in nature that are round or have some type of, you know, circular form to them. And so From a spiritual standpoint, there are several cultures that believe that a circle is healing and also representative of the life cycle. And so in the field of art therapy, there's a lot of studies and work done within the round or within the mandala. Uh, And so really, it's kind of seen as a sacred space. It's a space that holds whatever you put into it. And this idea of working the round for many is, is can be very soothing, very relaxing, and it's containing putting that little round circle on a piece of paper also kind of invites someone to make more marks because there's something there already versus just a blank sheet of paper. So it's, you know, it's a very gentle way of easing someone into a creative process and also holding the sacred space for many is very healing. That's really beautiful. I was, of course, internet stalking your art website and it's beautiful. (laughs) And there was one quote on there that I absolutely loved. It was our mental health cannot thrive under the suppression of self-expression. That is so (laughs) powerful. So deep. Can you talk a little more about that? For sure. I think this really stems from my own personal experiences with art and mental health. Uh, And this idea that, you know, just having a sense of self is so directly tied to our mental well-being. And if we feel that we cannot fully express, we cannot fully show up in the world, inevitably, some at some point in life, this may affect your mental health or your sense of well-being. So to be able to show up, to be able to take up space, to be able to use your voice, or if we speak more on the art side, to be able to make marks and to leave your mark and to express, you know, whether that be through paint or fashion or song or dance, I think this is something that is so much of a, of a human experience and to feel free in self-expression can be very liberating and I think ties directly to um, our quality of life and overall well-being. Mm-hmm. 
I know that when I engaged, like I said, I'm not an artist, but I try to engage in a lot of creativity um, with whether it's writing or painting or, you know, just simply coloring, you know, with my kids. And I think back to when I was in college, you know, coloring was a big thing with healing and things like that. But I ended up buying like a coloring book and it was like a kid's coloring book and a box of crayons. And during those really stressful times, like midterms or final exams, I would take a break from my studies and I would just sit there and I would just color, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it, I felt like kind of like a little kid, but it also was so healing for me. Just that simple act, something that three-year-olds do. So, I, you know, could you tell me a little bit more about what the healing benefits could be for art therapy? Yeah, I think we could talk about it in the sense of like physical benefits, mental benefits, spiritual benefits, you know, Mm -hmm. physically, I mean, you're putting motion into the body, you know, so even if you are, I mean, just a simple act of moving your arm to make circles or to make doodles, I mean, this is action, this is activity, this is a physical experience and movement moves energy, movement moves thought and feeling, right? So it's almost like you're you're exerting energy to express something within that is healing. Um, in the physical realm, we can also even talk about how engaging in art can lower stress hormones. It can lower heart rate. It can kind of create a sense of equilibrium in the physical, biological part of the body, right? Mm-hmm. So like you express, you know, midterms, you're highly stressed, but taking maybe that 15 minutes or so to just color, you've noticed kind of a change or shift in the physical body, maybe feeling a bit more centered or grounded or just calmer, Mm -hmm. right? It's a way to kind of disconnect from rumination and worry and just kind of be for a moment. Mm -hmm. So that detachment from our stress, you know, has an impact on the way our physical body reacts. On the mental, emotional level, of course, you know, it goes back to the quote you shared a moment ago about just being able to express yourself. I think even now, you know, with so much isolation, you don't always have someone to talk to. So having your art, having your sketchbook as a place to kind of, as I would say, just dump, right? Mm -hmm. Put all that stuff that you're carrying, that you're thinking that you're feeling into or onto a sheet of paper or in a sketchbook can be very cathartic. Mm -hmm. Um, again, kind of creating that distance and maybe helping you observe what you're thinking and feeling from a more tangible perspective, right? We can't see the brain thinking. Mm -hmm. We experience it in sensation. We experience it in thought. But once we see that image of what we're feeling on paper, we respond to it differently. We might be able to help ourselves a different way by the information we gain from the imagery. Mm -hmm. And then from the spiritual level, I think, you know, again, art is something that I believe is innately human. So being able to tap into that sense of creativity in many ways for some of us is a way to kind of connect to ancestors, to, you know, that ancestral wisdom, or maybe even think a bit more into the future and just allow ourselves to be human and to express and to dream and to play and to imagine, you know, things that you say, you know, a three-year-old does, but why don't we do that in adult life? I think it's just as important for for us um, into our adulthood to still exercise that part of ourselves. I completely agree with that. And it's such a nice break from those heavy adult responsibilities that we have to just allow ourselves, give ourselves that permission to play. 
Mm-hmm. And earlier, you know, when you were talking about kind of dumping everything onto a sketchbook, you know, the same, I, I talk to students, the same thing about journaling, mm-hmm. you know, when you're ruminating on something, when you're thinking about something over and over and over again, you're not necessarily processing how you're feeling. But when you put it on paper, more times than not, you're not going to repeat the same thing over and over again on paper. You're going to be processing it and those thoughts are going to be moving and you'll come up with maybe not a resolution, but at least it'll be out. It'll be outside of yourself. And then you can do whatever you want with that paper. Mm-hmm. So yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are some people who, you know, will keep it. There are some people who will throw it away, who will burn it, who will make art out of it, who will frame it. You know, there's there's just so much that that you can do with that process itself. Definitely. Do you have a favorite artist? I have quite a few favorites. The one that I think I typically always go to is Kara Walker. I'm just so enamored by her process and the way that she's able to create art about very heavy topics, but if you're not necessarily aware, you know, you just see the art and it's something that's beautiful and that resonates. So she creates, you know, these amazing silhouettes that are sometimes just a single person or, you know, very small, you know, image to these huge installations of, you know, just a whole room of silhouettes. And she's even more recently built some sculptures. She built a huge sculpture out of sugar. I mean, like she does these amazing things. Yeah. So if you're not familiar, I would definitely explore Kara Walker. Yeah. Again, you know, a lot of her work kind of speaks towards some of the history of Black Americans and slavery in particular. And so to be able to, through the visual arts, communicate and kind of put these things out into the world and have people engage with the art and in some ways begin to engage with those questions about our history, I think is, mm-hmm. is really important and very poignant. Mm-hmm. It sounds very moving. Yeah. So when clients come to you and they're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this art therapy thing a try. Right. But then they're kind of nervous about it because they're like, well, I'm not an artist. I don't have a creative bone in my body. How do you work around that? honestly it's not a workaround it's just a a work with it you know Mm. so (laughs) this idea that you know in some way you are creative you might not identify as an artist but you can make marks so at that point I might move away from making you know talking about let's make art and I'll kind of segue into well how about we just make marks right mark making how can we approach it from that perspective. And so giving them permission to doodle, to literally make dots and lines, you know, inviting them into collage or something where they already have maybe pre-designed pieces of paper or images to work with can be very helpful. But I find that once you give them permission to just play, it kind of takes away a bit of that anxiety or apprehension. And as far as like, can I make art? Am I going to be good at this? But again, I say work with instead of work around because I'm meeting them where they're at, you know? So if they feel completely uninspired and uncreative, that's okay. We'll work together and figure out how we can make something in this moment. Sometimes it ends up just starting as writing, journaling, right? Mm -hmm. Poetry, something to just get 
that creative process flowing. And then before they know it, they're engaging in some sort of a creative process. Yeah. I remember working with with children previously, and I worked with grieving children who they, of course, enjoy that play aspect. Mm -hmm. And it was much more telling when they would express themselves creatively. And I remember having a group of kids and implementing music therapy Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, just bring in a piece of music that you want to share with the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And even that kind of opens a window into what their world was like. Yeah, that's a good one. I find that music is, is helpful too. And kind of just maybe breaking that barrier. It's like, let's listen to a song and just draw along to the rhythms, you know, Mm -hmm. or is there a lyric in the song that you're really drawn to? How might you illustrate that? So there's lots of ways, yeah, to incorporate music too into that experience. Mm -hmm. It really opens up a a whole new way to to provide therapy, in my opinion. Now, then you might get like the student who comes in and they are specializing or they are studying fine arts. And so they have that added pressure and stress when it comes to art. Maybe they once enjoyed it, but now because that's their focus of their academics and it's a stressful environment, they may feel quick to criticize themselves. How do you help them overcome that inner critic? Great question. You know, ultimately, I think if you're walking into an art therapy session with experience and skill, um, you already understand media, you already understand technique, and you probably already understand who you are as an artist. Mm -hmm. And so to break through that, that inner critic, I think it's important to help them get back to just process and not focus on product. Mm -hmm. So let's just explore what is your creative process? How do you start? What's happening in the middle? And then how do you get to the end? Right? Mm -hmm. And examining at what parts the inner critic is very present and very loud? Is it at the beginning when you're brainstorming and trying to cultivate that idea and you're kind of being very critical of like, my ideas aren't good enough? Does it show up in the center of the creative process where maybe you've already created, but now you're needing to edit or revise it? Or in some cases, you feel like you need to start again. And same thing, we can we can ask that question at the end. So once we can kind of pinpoint where it's showing up and how it communicates, We might even identify that that inner critic is not even your authentic voice. Mm. Is it the voice of a teacher, of a parent, of other people in power or authority figures? And then we just kind of do some work around that. And honestly, I think a a lot of the times it's very much about witnessing and just showing up with whatever is there and like, let's work with that. Right. And once we can welcome it, that inner critic, that voice, that criticism into the space, we can begin to kind of confront it gently and find a different way of maybe altering the voice, turning down the voice, replacing the voice, mm. and hopefully getting to a point where the creative process flows a little bit more organically. And the inner critic is still beneficial as, you know, like a critiquing eye, but maybe it doesn't have to affect outcome or affect how you feel as you're making. So they get back to embracing the passion they once had maybe and move away from, you know, this, maybe they feel like it's commodified and their value is commodified. You know, is it good enough to be accepted and Mm -hmm. just really kind of anchoring them back and what, what makes them want to make art to begin with. So kind of taking, you know, some steps back and revisiting their reasons. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. When you've created art or when you've been in that creative process, have you ever felt stuck? Oh, yeah. Often. I think even more recently, I've really felt stuck finding that the balance between work and life. And in, in my case, I like to think of it like art and life. You know, how do I make time for that level of creative expression where, you know, you want to lock yourself away in a room for days and just make art and just like, Sometimes there's not time to do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Find, yeah, trying to find ways to carve out smaller bits of time that are still just as valuable, I think has definitely been a struggle. And so this is where the mandala work, I think, becomes very healthy for me in particular and, and very helpful. I can sometimes take the work that I've done on a smaller scale, like in my sketchbook or in a mandala, and that informs me of something that I could build upon or create much larger But again, you know, asking ourselves, well, why are we stuck? What's happening in this moment? Sometimes being stuck is a kind of like a marker of like, do I need to turn in and reflect? Do I need rest? Maybe being stuck is important because I'm in process of, you know, marinating on some bigger ideas and I just need to let space and time do its thing. So I think, you know, always kind of asking ourselves, what is this moment trying to teach me can be very important, even if we're not being what we consider to be productive. It's still could be beneficial to our productivity. Mm -hmm. Have there ever been some times where you're providing art therapy to somebody and they just have like this amazing aha moment? For sure. I mean, I think those are some of the best sessions, you know, the ones I live for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely. See it in their eyes or they're able to verbalize something that they never knew about themselves. It honestly happens more more often than, you know, if I sit in this moment and think about it, you know, I think there are moments of that in, in most sessions where the art reveals things. You know, I often say to my client, the, the art can't lie. It's not, mm. you know, it's, it can't hide things in the way that maybe words or intellect can. And so it could simply be this one line that seems to just maybe not fit quite with the rest of the things on the paper, or maybe it's just that one image or the way the image is taking up space on the page. And like, we begin to talk about that. And then the client's like, wow, that, you know, connects to this or it resonates with me because of that. And we begin to make these very meaningful connections that they can carry into day to day, you know, their, their daily lives. So the art sometimes mirrors what's happening in our world and our life. And we begin to understand that a bit more clearly through the art making. Having this conversation with you just makes me want to go out and create something. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I love it. I love it. I'm thinking, what can I do at home? You know, what, what kind of things do I have at home to work with and, and yeah. engage with? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> now, I understand that that you have a group for college students, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so this group um, that I'm currently facilitating is actually hosted by the uh, Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. They've actually been doing this since the beginning of COVID where they're sponsoring a variety of different types of mental health therapy. So they have a a group of therapists that they're able to kind of connect with individuals in the community who may not necessarily have the funds to afford it. Mm -hmm. And so this round, which is their third round, I believe they geared um, their services and assistance to students of color, college students of color. Mm -hmm. Um, So this group is really just a space and time for 
cause students to come together and kind of process how they have been affected by COVID mm-hmm. and you know, how this might be in, impacting them emotionally, but also academically. Uh, so my session in particular is called Sketchbook Self-Care. And so we meet, we, we make our own sketchbooks from scratch, and then we go through different exercises that can really become daily practices of self-reflection, self-discovery, or relaxation. So really kind of helping them gain creative tools that they can utilize to support them as they continue through school and also into, you know, young adulthood and the real world. What is it that you enjoy most about working with college students? Hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with my, you know, just thinking about my own experience as a college student and just remembering, honestly, how stressful it was and how challenging it was to find the balance between being a student and then being social and then, you know, trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? And so just remembering all of that angst, but also all the energy and excitement that I think we're kind of carrying at that point of our lives. And, and so being able to create and hold space for all of those experiences, I think, is what I truly enjoy when I'm working with, you know, young students and people who are going through those college years. Yeah, it is definitely an exciting time. Yeah, a lot of learning. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And that learning lasts a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, Deanna, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so, so much for everything. And of course, we're going to include your information in the episode notes so people can find out more about you. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're doing telehealth and yeah, we'll, we'll get students connected to you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you as well, Olivia. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.